season two of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Ellen was recorded on May 4th, 2023. Hi. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to share my experience, strength, and hope. Um, I guess you need some history here. <laughs> um, I... Start. I went into therapy in 31 years ago because I felt like I was going insane. And I thought, I always felt my family was kind of normal. You know, um, when I was younger, we seemed like kind of a happy family. The only thing was when my dad would get mad and he'd go to punish any of us, he would lose it. Um, it he'd like, go into this rage and um yeah i i felt that a couple of times and i witnessed my brother so anyway i'm the oldest of 3 um i have a brother and then my uh youngest is uh sibling is a sister my sister and she's also in recovery too she's been in recovery almost as long as i have but she's um, in NA and AA. Um, let me see. My mom was in a, it raised in Bronx, New York, and she was like next to last. She was their only child, you know, the fourth child for a long time. And then her, she has a sister that was like 10 years younger than her. And, uh, they were a close family, <laughs> so close. There were so many people that lived in this house. They had like a four-story house. They had a couple of people in there I called aunts, and they really weren't. They had my great aunts and uncles, my great uncles, and that um, there was foster children. So there was always a lot of people in that household. And from what I understand, my grandmother used to yell a lot, but um, I spent a lot of time with her really small until I was eight years old when we lost her to cancer. And then my grandpa died a couple of years after that. And my dad, he was raised by his grandparents, pretty much his parents. It was during the, the depression and they traveled across the country 22 times and they left my father in California. I actually got to see where he grew up. Um, I always thought he was like 11, but they uh, who knows how young he was. I know he was in the census in 1940, living there in California when he was nine years old. And that's something I just found out um, uh, in 2021. And I found out my great grandfather was an alcoholic and his wife was the one who beat, beat him. She was the disciplinarian. And when he was 14, his parents came back and got him. And all they wanted him for was to babysit. He ended up quitting school 
at four, I don't know, I heard 14, but 16 or something. And he joined the army at 17. And his, his dream was to always have a house when he had his family, which he did. He, he worked really hard. He was a functioning alcoholic, but, um, I had never seen him drunk. I, I saw his alcoholism, like towards the end of his life, he, he, would carry alcohol in his coffee and that kind of thing. Uh, so we grew up in Connecticut. That's where I live now. And he, like I said, he would lose it. When my mom lost her parents, she kind of started losing her. She, she started deteriorating and um, had mental illness. She, yeah, she just wasn't there after she lost the, her parents. And then she had to quit drinking because they would drink, but like the weekend drinkers, like have wine with pizza and they'd go out on a date on a Saturday night and get a babysitter, that kind of thing. They were social drinkers. And she had to give that up because she had diabetes and other health problems. And she didn't like that. And my dad and her um, had problems. We moved to a different house and it seemed like our whole life was falling apart. They would fight all the time. He wouldn't come home. Um, I, I had my first drink at eight years old and they didn't even notice that I was drinking. I was stealing alcohol. Um, I knew at 14 he, where he hid the alcohol in his car because he would drink before he came home because of what he had to face coming home with my mother. And I would go walk to meet him to talk to him about my mom. But she had her breakdown or whatever it was when I was in eighth grade, when I was turned 14. And so I would walk and meet him and we'd talk and he'd say, your mother's sick. We got to have patience. I was 14. He said that to my sister, too. She's five years younger than me. It's he. And then he just started staying away more and more. And I remember one time I went walking to to meet with him to talk and he never came. And I walked over three miles and I sat and I waited and it was dark and I had to walk home. And these are all country roads, no sidewalks. And people just drove the way they drove. And I came home and I asked my mom where he was. And he said, she said, oh, he's just going to work from now on. He's no longer coming home between jobs. He worked two jobs and she had this smirk on her face like, ha, you did that. Ha ha. Good for you or whatever. She just was a vindictive kind of person. Uh, she had. The, uh, yeah, she was a vindictive kind of person. And at 14, I, I tried to run away, but I had some friends who brought me home and said, hey, you know, if you run away, you have no money, you have no place to go, you'll end up on the street, you could end up on drugs and all that. If you stay home, you only have three and a half more years of school. So I did that. I stayed at home. Well, I lived in the house, but I never was home. I'd find friends' houses to stay at. I... I, like I said, I drank, um, I didn't want to feel, I didn't want to be a part of this family. 
I just felt, well, she didn't like me. My dad didn't come around. So that's two forms of abandonment right there. And um, my grandmother, she was my dad's mom, had uh, lost touch with reality too. And she was not a nice person to me. So I had three people that were supposed to be people that love me and they act like they didn't love me. <laughs> and I moved out of the house. I graduated in 73. And by that October, I had moved out of the house. I rented a room at a stable that was down the street. My sister used to hang out there and the guy who ran the place let me have a room there. And then I got pregnant, got married really young. I, I was 19, like for a week and I had a child really young. So, and it was my escape. You know, I got out of the house. I found somebody to care for me. I thought, and it, that was a mistake. It was horrible. Um, he was verbally abusive and all that. I ended up getting divorced, jumped right into the next relationship and had three, I had two kids, the first marriage, three kids, the next, that didn't work out. I tried, I didn't want to be a failure. And I stayed with a person too long that I really shouldn't have stayed with, but I didn't know. And I felt like I was going insane, which I mentioned before. So I was trying to find therapist or something, something that would help me feel better. And I was like 30, eight at the time, 3738. And um, I did my husband's insurance covered therapy. So I went to the first therapist and it was I, I fired that person because my thought process said I have to fix my husband and then everything would be great, which isn't true, <laughs> um, which I found out later. And she kept telling me I need a family intervention because my husband was using. And like I said, I wanted to fix them. Oh, and, and when I started therapy, I told my mom, hey, I'm in therapy because she would never go to a therapist or a psychiatrist or anything because she was afraid of being put away. And she just like, poof, everything came out. She apologized. She said I was really sick back then. You know, and we actually got closer, but she didn't live that much longer. She, this was 91 and she died in 92, uh, January of 92. But I have that gift because growing up, she would not tell me she loved me, give hugs or anything like that. And I got a hug and I got a, I love you. <laughs> so that was pretty amazing. My dad, on the other hand, he, he had left my mom after she ha she was had a stroke and he went and he was had a girlfriend all along and he ended up with the girlfriend. And um, anyway. So and he had moved to New York and then out to California, he was all over the place, so I really didn't see him as I got older. And. I fired that first therapist and I had made an appointment with another therapist. Uh, it was called Family Intervention Center. Hey, there's that word, family intervention. And my mom had died and my the funeral was actually on the day of my scheduled appointment. So I canceled it. 
Well, about a month later, my daughter came home and said that she told her principal that her dad did drugs. And so I called the principal up and found out he she just thought it was smoking cigarettes. And so I talked to the principal and then I talked to school psychologist and she gave me this family intervention center. And I went and they were all people in 12 step recovery who were adult children, alcoholics, drug addicts, you name it, that had gotten together to form this um, therapeutic center. And so I went, I talked to the, to the one who ended up being my therapist and I, it's supposed to be one-on-one, but I ended up doing group because they worked it out that my insurance would pay the whole thing and they would only pay for, um, group. No, one-on-one. I don't know how they did it, but anyway, I didn't have to pay anything. And I learned about Al-Anon through there. And I started with Al-Anon. I learned that I was an adult child. I also learned that um, I was very codependent and I started doing the work with um, Melody Beatty with her workbook. I read all her stuff. I, I just worked really hard and I did that for two and a half years. And my divorce, I ended up getting divorced. I actually, my husband ended up in jail for the night because the better I got, the stronger I got, the more I stood up to him, the angrier he became. And he ended up, I went to the police and um, Connecticut is a great place for women because they were on our side. And as long as I went to the police to make a report, they arrested him. Like if we were fighting in the house and somebody came after us, we would both be arrested. But they, and so he was removed from the house and had to do anger management classes. This period of time gave me time to look at myself and say, I really don't need this person in my life. I, I can do this on my own. And Eventually, I went back to college. I was going to get uh, a degree, and my friend and I were going to open up a, um, not a daycare center, a, a preschool for kids. We didn't end up doing that because we both moved to North Carolina, <laughs> and um, I, I had my house. I sold my house after five years, moved down to North Carolina. I got a job in a high school. And that's where I flourished. I stayed on my own. I raised my girls, you know, and they turned out pretty good. And I had found meetings in Connecticut before I moved, but they were mainly CODA meetings. The ACA meeting that I tried, I tried like two or three of them and I wasn't impressed. There was no literature. There was no, um, all I heard was a lot of complaining There wasn't any work being done. And I did find one group. But then I moved to North Carolina and I I got really involved with AA and some Al-Anon. And then um, I had gone to these all kinds of, um, well, this thing called Gator Fest. It's like a thing that happened every year. This guy opened up his home to everybody. And we... I met this lady a few years at, well, the year after I graduated college 
And I liked what she said and I liked what I heard. And I heard all about all these meetings and they were ACA meetings. Two of them were on Sunday night. One was a book study and one was um, just talking and they had campouts and seminars and that. And so I attended, I started attending these things. Um, Cause I had a, a, after I graduated college, I have to back up a little bit. After I graduated college, I had a job as a teacher, a special ed teacher, which I absolutely hated. <laughs> and when I lost that job because of in 2008, the economy went downhill. I was last teacher hired, first teacher to go. And I, I got so depressed. I didn't want to get out of bed. I really did. And I just laid with the covers, pull them over. And I had a roommate who was in the program and she came and she says, I really want to hug you. She go. And I was like, no, go away. And finally I got out of bed and I started going to a meeting again. And I, like I said, I met this woman and I got really involved. And the one thing I kept hearing was get a sponsor and do the steps. I did not do that when I got into AA or any of the other meetings up in Connecticut. And so I watched, I watched this lady. And finally, after from October until December, I asked her to be my sponsor. She said, yeah. And I started working my steps that January. And oh my gosh, I, the fear that I had of sharing with somebody before that, just kind of melted away. And she was, we shared a lot. I shared a lot with her and I found that, that we had a lot in common and it helped me to start trusting another person because I did not trust people. I don't. And, um, I started really throwing myself into service. Like they had these seminars and I volunteered to do to help with lunch. I ended up planning the lunch. And, and then I had to get up in front of 120 people and say the directions on how lunch was going to be served because it was buffet style and it was soup and sandwich thing. And I was like, I can't do this stuff. And I did it. And when I succeeded in one thing and then succeed in the next thing, I started growing more and more and more. And gaining self-esteem and just feeling so much better about myself. Because the one thing that I found in ACA is to, I needed to love myself and I didn't do that. I couldn't stand myself. <laughs> um, but I started loving myself and I started really, you know, when I did my um, step nine, making my amends, I drove up to New York to my father's grave and I read a letter to him to make amends um, for not accepting him for who he was. And over the years, like even just recently, I still have things that pop up and it's abandonment. I have really deep abandonment wounds. And these wounds are so deep that I think, oh, wow, I, I, I've got it. I worked on it. I worked through it. I did the forgiveness. I met, you know, and forgave myself. And then something happens. As a matter of fact, I had something about three weeks ago that really threw me full, <laughs> um, threw me full, uh, 
just, it triggered me. It really triggered me. But, um, yeah, <laughs> I had attended many workshops out in California when I lived out there. I lived there for nine years. And twice a year, we would have workshops. We would have camp. And they would have workshops at the camp. It was like a retreat. And I learned what triggers were and how to work through them. I learned what abandonment was. I didn't realize that I was abandoned because my parents were home. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And how could that be abandonment? And I didn't realize that being neglected, um, not being heard, there are so many ways that I can be abandoned, and I was. And um, because I became so self-reliant that I wouldn't ask people for help. And that's something else that I have learned to do, that when I really need help, I will ask. It, it's scary. <laughs> it's really scary. But um, Anyway, my sister and I, our relationship has not been good. My brother and I were close and we still are kind of close, but my sister and I were five years apart and we would get defensive with each other. And over the years, um, I think about 11 years ago, her and I had a long talk. And so we settled some stuff and then she, you know, we've been working, working, working through this. And I thought we were closer. Well, I moved back to Connecticut in September. And this is a place of a lot of memories. I don't live in the same part state that I grew up in. I live in another part. But when I go back to the parts of the state where there's so many memories and so many triggers, it is, it has been an adjustment and kind of scary. I went to, um, my niece is an artist and she had a showing of her art artwork and my sister and I and my niece, one, my other niece, her other daughter were talking and they were just talking. And I was so triggered with emotion of stuff that happened. It brought back so many memories and I knew these memories, you know, I've worked through them before, but I went home and she called me the next day to see what happened. I said, I'm fine. I was tired. Well, last weekend, I had gone on a trip to North Carolina, came home on Sunday, and she called me to tell me about my foster brother. We had a, my mom took in foster kids and we had a foster brother. She found him and she called to tell me he had cancer. When he lived with us, my mom flipped out. The state came and got him and I didn't get to say goodbye to him. So. Another loss. Um, so she told me that and I was tired. And I was getting irritable and I was becoming defensive. So what I had to do is halt. Am I hungry, angry, lonely and tired? And I was hungry and I was becoming angry and I was tired. I wasn't lonely. And she as she started to get a little upset with me. But then she says, how about if we just hang up now and we'll talk about another time? So this past Saturday, she called me. 
or Friday and called me and she's very involved in Native American groups here. She does lodges, the, the, yeah, she does lodges. And um, she invited me to one and I went and we talked for almost two hours before we went out for the lodge, the um, sweat lodge. And we were sitting there just talking and we talked about everything that has been going on between us and my, how I was triggered. And then she took, she said, well, I hate that I'm your trigger. I, I said, no, we grew up in the same house. We, we are sisters. We had the same parents. We lived this, you know, a lot of the same things and yeah, there's going to be triggers. I go, it's me. It's not you. It's what I have to work through. And being in ACA and doing the work that I have done has helped me to, um, to work through, to identify and work through. And that way, if a trigger comes up again, I know what it is. I can identify it and I don't have to stay in that that for a long period of time, I can let go of it. I can learn. I know how to let go of it. I know what I need to do to identify. I can write. I could sit there and write about it and write about it and write about it and find out where it came from. And, mo you know, it, it goes all the way back to when I was three and four years old. There are things that have come back to memory, you know, that I remember. Um, so that was that Saturday was really awesome. We did a lot of healing together. And then I tried to sweat lodge and I'm claustrophobic. And I started through the first set of prayers and or song prayers and I had to get out and it was raining out. So I couldn't even sit outside of the lodge. So, but the ladies were so loving and they they hugged me and they said, you know, I hope you come back here. You took care of yourself. And that's what's important. And that's something I have learned in ACA to take care of myself when I need to take care of myself. It's not selfish. Uh, if I don't take care of myself, how am I going to take care of my grandson? You know, how am I, you know, I, there's so much I learned and so much that I am so grateful for in this ACA or any of the 12 step programs that I have been, that I have um, been in to me, meetings are very, very important to me. Uh, since I moved here, I haven't been really good about going to my meetings that are in person. I, I found them. I have searched for them a couple of times. I went to go to a couple of meetings like in new London and I made this plan. I'll do this first and then I'll eat breakfast and then I'll go to the meeting and then I'll go grocery shopping. I'm in Niantic. And I said, oh, a park. And I just parked the car and I walked the beach. And then when I got in the car and after I finished shopping and everything and I was on my way home and I said, I forgot to go to the meeting. <laughs> so kind of funny. But um, yeah, so I have a couple of AA meetings close by. There's a, a couple of ACA meetings that I want to attend, but I have my Zoom meetings. 
And a lot of the people that I went to meetings with in North Carolina, we meet on Thursdays and Sundays. So I still get to see my sponsor and my recovery family form from North Carolina. And at Christmas, I went down to Oak Island and spent a week there with my recovery family. So to me, I'm never, you know, I'm always going to have to practice my program. I like to review my steps. I love going to meetings where we do step studies. So it's a reminder of where I am. I like the, the AA 12 and 12 step meetings because we read the steps and discuss them and it keeps me centered because that is what saved me. The steps have saved me knowing what I need to do. Um, they have, it, it, they are the best thing in my life. <laughs> I wish everybody in the world could do the 12 steps and live by them because I think we would have a help, you know, a happier world. Um, yeah. Um, I haven't really been of service as much, but I know speaking tonight is a way of me being of service, of me of sharing my story. And maybe I can connect with people or people say, wow, I'm not alone. I can relate to that kind of thing. And I've done that with people listening. You know, wow, I, I can relate. Um, I guess I really don't have anything else more to say. So. I guess I'm going to say I'm done. And thank you for listening. And thank you for asking me to be a part of this meeting.